Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Roger. Yes. <laughs> and Dark Knight of the Podcast audience. I need to admit something to you. I might lose my gay card over it. I don't know. I don't know how, if this is like a gay, if the show has a huge gay following. I don't know. But I got to admit to you, Roger, I have never, and I swear to God, I have never watched one episode, one second of the television show, Big Brother. Big Brother? Same here. Yeah. Have you? Are you a... No. I have no fucking idea what that nonsense is all about. I'm going to be honest. I don't care whether they're famous or they're not, but why are there so many seasons of it? I don't know, but I know it has a huge following. I know there's Big Brother gatherings people have. They they, they literally gather at bars and watch Big Brother like like gays do at gay bars to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. It's a big ordeal. It's a big hoo-ha. Okay. I mean, listen, I I think there's something interesting to be said about experiencing the human experience unfold in front of you. And I think like literally like just throwing personalities together in a household, same thing as real world. That was a phenomenon Mm -hmm. at a certain time. You know, we as a, as a culture, for some reason we have some, this weird kind of fascination with just like watching uh, things naturally unfold. That's why the games like the Sims exist because we, we like to like predict and like, you know, call out certain things that are going to occur within these situations where we put people together in the same household. So I get the appeal of it because I certainly love The Sims. I can relate in my own way. But shows like Big Brother don't necessarily draw me in at this point in my life. I'm going to be honest. I did, I did watch a couple of the seasons of The Real World, and I found that a little bit entertaining. But something about Big Brother, like the concept of it, like, uh, oh, we're going to vote people out. And, you know, the, the different housemates supposedly form like little groups. And it's, oh, we're going to bully somebody and get them out of the house. I don't know. It just doesn't sound appealing to me. But I guess there's entertainment value in everything, including... Roger, Colobos. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know what? Putting it in that broad of terms, uh, there's entertainment to be taken from aspects of Colobos. Yes, I'll agree with that. Well, we are. We, last week we had a a, a massive oh episode, God. three hours uh, of us three hens chatting about Scream 2, me, you, and the fabulous, fabulous Tyler Jensen. We had a blast. Hopefully, you guys listened to that episode. Uh, I, I looked at the numbers, and it seems like a massive amount of people listen to it. So thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. But we are picking back up with our fan selection series. It was supposed to be fan selection month. We were going to have all these done in July. Unfortunately, Houston Horror Film Festival. No, I'm not going to say unfortunately. Say <laughs> fortunately, Houston Horror Film Festival got in the way and, and kind of threw us off our regularly scheduled schedule. But we are picking it back up because we are ones to keep our word. And we told you we were doing this and we have two films left, one of them being Colobos. So I have to thank the the listener who selected this film. Hopefully, 
you know, you listen to the episode and you enjoy. I, I don't know if you selected the film, honestly, if because you loved it or you hated it. I don't know. But thank you, David Claire Bennett, for selecting Colobos. And yes. we selected your selection. And David is a, a a pretty good supporter of us. He He's constantly liking our posts. He shares a few of them. And he is a yeah. young up-and-coming filmmaker. So be sure to check out his, his stuff. I know he has a film called survivor's choice i believe david if i get that wrong i'm sorry but so check his stuff out he's he's very talented and very just passionate about filmmaking so thank you david for selecting this film we hope that you will appreciate our thoughts on it even if you don't agree with some of them okay (laughs) well and i want to say to build off that troy i do want to just acknowledge i already had planned to say something about you know my response to this i'm gonna be transparent not right off the cuff I don't really like this movie. Mm-hmm. There are things I like, but I'm going to say it right now. I, I There are parts of it I actually found rather grating. Uh, and I'm going to be honest about that. I'm going to be transparent about it. But I, I don't want to be a reviewer who puts down another person's opinion. And I've read a lot of fan support for this film. And just because it rubs me the wrong way doesn't mean it rubs you the same way. So I do want to say I get why there is a fan base for this film. I'm just ne- not necessarily it. Yeah, I think we have to kind of... Unfortunately, I think in this day and age, you kind of have to walk that fine line where you're trying not to offend someone else's opinion. But I mean, that's what we do. I mean, anybody that tunes into any sort of horror review podcast has to go in with the mindset that, hey, these people might not might not agree with me, but that's okay. I'm going to listen to what their critiques are and see if I maybe can understand their viewpoint. And it's vice versa. I want to hear, you know, after the conclusion of this episode, if you guys, if you guys that love this movie or hate this movie or want to agree or disagree with anything we say about it, we want to hear your feedback. It, it's we, we need to learn to. Re- really listen to each other and respect each other. I think social media has made it such a, uh, it's just toxic. You can't really have an opinion one way or the other anymore without somebody saying, no, you're wrong. So unfortunately, as a podcaster, we we feel like we have to give that preface like you just did, but we shouldn't have to. People should just have the the critical thinking skills and the compassion to listen to another person's opinion. That's my spiel. Uh, You can tell I started my teaching job back, right? Oh, God, look at you. Well, there's been some big changes. I mean, other than the Houston Horror Film Festival, you are, you're back to work. She's a working girl, everybody. Working girl. And it's, let me tell you, it's a, it's a, it's an experience. I'm going to tell you that it's kept me on my toes. Um, I can only imagine. Before we launch into Colobos, we also, because it's been a several weeks and I feel bad that we didn't acknowledge them last week with the Scream 2 episode, but we have to acknowledge, we're actually two acknowledgements. Our Patreon, we haven't really plugged our Patreon lately guys but there are some great things on our patreon and there's still going to be great things coming up we we did a review of clue last month Um, we have our top three picks for various topics so i gotta give a huge thank you to jason purcell for joining us on patreon becoming one of our patrons we have a new patron roger jason purcell and he is quite active on the patreon page which i love i try to respond to him um, he comments on all of our posts, whether he agrees, disagrees, he get, he's gives us some great suggestions. So Jason, we really appreciate you. We hope you're enjoying the content. Spread the word. And also Craig Brocken's back. Thank you, Craig. Oh, she's home. She's home. She's home where she belongs. Yes. And you all belong as part of this family. That Patreon, it, it's not fucking around. It's not fucking around. We're bringing you quality material. And some of the stuff we have coming up, is juicy. We'll be discussing it soon. But right now, but I gotta say before before we get in to this goddamn review, 
I, as a gay man, need a moment with you, Troy. For the other gays who I'm sure are are hurting, I need to take a quick moment to acknowledge the loss of Olivia Newton-John. Oh. I'm still, I've still not recovered. I have literally cried over it consecutively, <laughs> like literally a week straight, watching people reacting to Grease videos and crying to it. I mean, like I made Gustavo watch Grease. I cried to it. I'm feeling a lot of things. I don't know why it's Olivia that hits me the way she does, but gays, I'm sure you're collectively mourning just like I am. <laughs> so I had to acknowledge it. Moving forward. I mean, a p- huge part of my childhood, such nostalgia watching uh, Greece and uh, physical, you know, that was quite physical was quite racy when it first came out. I taboo. mean, taboo. Yeah. So got to give it got to give her huge props for kind of pushing the boundaries before physical. She was singing all those sweet country type songs and then she came oh, yeah. out with a, a hard beaten pop song about having sex. So Go, good for you, Olivia. That's why we love you. That's why the gays love you. Progressively a gay supporter as well. Yeah. Doing doing fucking made for made for TV movies about AIDS and so forth. We love her. We love her. We love her and we love Colobos. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Oh. I don't think that's I don't think there's an equivalent there. Um I, not to segue from Olivia Newton John to Colobos, but <laughs> We want to do an analogy. How does Colobos relate to Olivia Newton-John? Well, you know what I'm going to say right now? When I hear Colobos, I don't even hear what I what I think I'm going to get is nothing like what I actually got. I heard Colobos and I thought like low-end, late 90s jeans brand. Like that's what I think of when I hear Colobos. <laughs> so it went a totally different direction. Then I heard it and I was like, ooh, this sounds like very sci-fi, like like, I don't know, C- Cillian Murphy starring in Colobos. Like, something along those lines. But it's not that either. It's just, I don't know really where this movie falls or exactly what it is. What do you think of it, Troy? Well, I know the title is quite interesting because I had no clue what the what that word meant. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming 99.9% of people that looked at the video box art when it came out direct to video back in 99 had any idea what it meant. And so your, your, your imagination just goes kind of where that, you know, the word kind of sounds like, like I was expecting it to be like a de- a demon film, you know, Colobos, the demon, he's possessing Linda Blair again. I don't know. It just, it doesn't sound like what you're getting. And the cover art doesn't do it any favors either. The original cover art, I will say the new, the Blu-ray release cover art doesn't do it any favors either. It's quite interesting because you, it's, it is a movie based on the title that you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. I was pleasantly surprised at the direction it takes because I'm a huge slasher fan and it does satiate some of that for me, but there's elements of the film that are there, but goddamn, it drops the ball a lot, but we can get into it. Shall we get into it? I mean, I'll say that even though I dislike this movie, I've been very excited to talk about my reasons why, because unlike other films that we've seen prior, this one, I can give some merit just in the sense of their, what they're trying to do. So I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion, and I am going to urge listeners who maybe are fans of this movie to keep listening, because I'm not looking to slam this movie. Um, There's things I want to tip my hat to. Um, So I think it's going to be an exciting conversation, and and I think it it, it goes so many directions, man. I don't know. I'm ready. I'm fucking ready. You want to dive in? Yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible movie. It's not like a a Splatter University or a a Bloody Murder that's just uh, technically terrible the movie has a lot of merit to it uh i just wish i'm sure it was budget constraints you can tell the budget wasn't there but story-wise as well it's quite 
uh, lacking in, in many respects. And I think, yeah, we definitely want to get into it. So we are d- discussing Colobos. We know it's kind of a rare title, guys. So if you have not seen it, we suggest you watching it. I mean, kind of sort of a, a twist ending that we don't want to spoil for you if you haven't seen it. Check it out. It's on Shutter. It's streaming on Shutter. So it's very accessible if you have Shutter. But this is 1999's Colobos, which opens with a montage and some very uh tingly music and some i do like the score i will say if i gave the film credit one big huge green check mark it's the score i I really get a lot of um goblin vibes from it suspiria vibes in in some parts so i can appreciate the score it's beautiful it plays over the opening credits which is just a montage of various like hands picking up paint painting hand screwing in light bulbs and adjusting cameras and then basically a zoom in on a a painting of a distorted face and then it hard cuts to a random person's point of view who's wandering down what looks to be an alley and it's raining it's kind of atmospheric and all of a sudden we get the person's bloody hand smash against the side of a, a cement building and kind of go down in slow motion. I did like that image. I thought it was a pretty striking image to start the film out with. And this random person wanders into the middle of the street and gets hit by a car um, in a very lackluster <laughs> sequence. Um, right off the bat, I, I think... I think that there's some strangely obvious elements of influence that I think this movie maybe had over films to come after it. And you see it kind of splattered all over the place. Um, But one thing that comes to mind, like when I look at some of the illustrations and the way they're drawn and the way they're handled, it almost kind of harkens to like what you saw then in like 13 Ghosts circa, you know, only like a year or so after this. 13 Ghosts having like the different illustrations of the ghosts representing the different deaths that they experienced and so forth. These drawings that kind of come up into play over and over, uh, there's a similarity to that. And I love that aspect of 13 Ghosts. So that actually like kind of uh, opened on a strong note for me. But yeah, I think that you see like this movie having influence on like some other films that came and we'll definitely touch on as we go along, but I do have to give it that, that acknowledgement alone. Um, and, and what we lead into here, though, is another bit of influence that I feel like I have to acknowledge. Does this opening bit of this film not feel exactly similar to what we see in, in the far more recent Terrifier? <sighs> Can I be honest with you? I don't even remember. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's the whole thing. Listen, man, it's the whole thing about the girl who is horribly fa- like facially. Oh, yeah. You know, like. Um, coming, carrying through and she like, you know, she's waking up in the hospital and then there's this whole kind of weird twist with her. This, this leading female character very much reminds me of that awful, awful girl who ended up being the female lead of Terrifier. Um, and she was so lame and she was so annoying. And this girl, like who we find out is the hands that is, you know, creating these horrifying illustrations. This is the girl Kira who ends up being the focal point of the movie. She does not do this movie <laughs> any any help whatsoever. Like, she is just the whiniest, most awful female lead I can think of in recent memory. And she's lame. She sucks the life out of the film. 
<laughs> at least towards the end, she finally has like a spark in her. But my God, anytime she's on camera, I think this movie is just miserable. Well, and unfortunately, she's on camera quite a bit. So you're, t- uh, so you're talking about Terrifier with Arthur Clown, right? Yeah, Terrifier. That, you know how there's that whole plot of the sister? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Okay. And she sucks, and she's so much like less enjoyable than oh, the Oh, yeah, the, the sister that sh- – <laughs> yeah, the, sh- the, the one that shows up after the who we think the final uh, girl is yeah. gets killed. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I know we just watched that for Patreon and reviewed it, but I don't remember much about that movie. Uh, anyway, yeah, so you are right. We're going to – Kara, the, the lead in this film is definitely the weakest aspect of it for me. Bless her heart, she tries to act, but it it's such amateurish high school level drama class stuff, especially when she's required to do some more heavy emotional stuff. It sounds so fake, so phony. You can tell she does not have the emotional punch to pull it off. And it really becomes distracting in many parts because she is supposed to be the character that we care about and the problem with this film roger is it's chock full of very annoying characters so it would have been nice to have the lead be portrayed by somebody that could uh, give off that air of of sympathy that we could then as the audience attach ourselves to because every fucking character in this film is annoying as fuck with the exception of maybe gary but we are going to get there because i'm telling you this one bitch i Fucking cannot stand this girl. Oh, and you, you probably know who I'm talking about, right? Are you talking about Erica? No, the other one. Oh my God, Tina. Tina's Tina. the worst part of the goddamn movie. I completely forgot she existed. To be honest, we're, we're, hey, we're gonna get we're gonna get to fucking Tina because I got some shit to say about fucking Tina. Oh, uh, anyways. God. So after the driver hits this girl, or we don't know who it is. They haven't shown us. He gets out of the car and is like, oh, are you all right? Are you all right? What happened to you? And all she can do is whisper the word Colobos, right? He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And then it cuts to her, um, this random weird scene of her like on the operating table. And apparently, I think she's hallucinating because all the doctors are saying like weird shit to her and like are being very uh, creepy. Insulting. Yeah, and then the one of them, the one of them takes a straight razor, which is not a proper surgical tool, mind you, and is and starts to like go towards her face, like he's going to cut her, and then it slam cuts again to her in the hospital bed with the lovely Doctor Waldman. Pleasant. I like okay, Doctor Waldman. Yes, sensible blonde. Yes, probably the best actress and character in the film. Uh, I yeah. think that she does a great job. I, I love the fact. I, lo- I actually really think the character is well written for as, le- as as less screen time that she has. I think that the character is actually pretty well written. She's not judgy, even though she we come to find out she really knows what or she has a strong opinion about what she really thinks happened. She's still not overtly judgy. Um, she's still very sympathetic towards Kira and really wants to help her, but unfortunately, Kira is a, yeah. a bitch. So, um, but Doctor <laughs> Waldman's there and is you know very pleasant. Hey, hey, are you okay? Can you talk? We have the detective here who wants to get some information, and it's Detective Byers. He, on the other hand, is not so pleasant. He's like, "Bitch, we need to find out what happened. Give me your fucking name." <laughs> and and Kira doesn't say anything. So the doctor's like, oh, I'm sure we could delay this a little bit, right, detective? And he's like, yeah, okay, I suppose, but make it snappy. <laughs> and like walks off. Something to acknowledge up to this point too, that was a really kind of unique decision 
um, because it doesn't totally land, is up to this point, we've only seen things from what ends up being Kira's perspective. Like you're seeing all of these shots. You're not seeing Kira herself. You're getting all these art house shots at points. Like when earlier on, you have like, you know, like leaking pipes and sewer drains and um, all these really visually unique shots that almost look like they're being shot through like a distorted camera or something. It's very weird to pinpoint exactly what's going on until you realize that you're just seeing everything from Kira's perspective up until she's in the hospital. You know, she comes to you with that obnoxious fucking redhead beside her who is just fucking all obnoxious as all hell. Um, <laughs> she, I feel like it's like Molly Shannon playing a character. Like, it's, you know, like I feel like it's she, I feel like the character is supposed to be the standout, you know, comedic element of the film. But the actress does not have the chops to pull that off at all. Like some of the lines she says, you could tell are supposed to be really funny and humorous but the way she delivers them it falls flat yeah and while while she's reading this she gives what ends up being this kind of voiceover of this ad she's going through ads in a newspaper that's how she keeps herself entertained and she finds one that ends up being this voiceover of of a full explanation of what this guy is looking for for this like experimental art house kind of uh, TV series pitch. Uh, experimental film that's looking for talent, especially freeloaders. That's a term that is specified. Uh, and that term alone would like make me su- like suspect. <laughs> like, I'd be like, I'd be like looking for freeloaders. Like I, I, I can't imagine the people that turn up for this being like very like quality overall, you know, like uh, it's just a strange word to use to like lure these people in. You know what I mean? It is. It is. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, that is a really odd word to use. But I guess in a sense, they, they are trying to get at the fact that, hey, uh, I I don't think they meant it like, like technically what a freeloader means. Like, I think that it was more like you're getting free room and board. You get to stay at this house for free. You're getting free food. You know, not necessarily like, oh, we want, you know, people that are technically freeloaders it was i think they used it as like a term to kind of be funny like hey look at you're gonna get a free room and board you're gonna get free food come on you know i don't know it still was a weird choice but it it causes oh and what does this 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 broad say she pulls the curtain open and sees kira and she's like you look like you could have you could win first runner up in a king top beauty contest yeah i mean she looks like florence from and the or Florence and the machine. Oh, yeah. she, she looks like Florence. What is her Florence name? Welch. Uh, Florence Welch. Like a, she looks like a like a bad knockoff Florence Welch, and she's just laying there with this like thick. She like she sounds like my old landlord. She's got like the thick kind of Jersey accent. She's like She's real brassy this game, and she's really not that big of a part. So I don't know why they thought it was funny to give her so much personality for so little screen time. But whatever, good for her. She has her moment, and it does lead into the pitch of what is the movie. We learn that oh, there's all these people who are going to be you know interested in coming out for this project because they are freeloaders and because some of them are seeking fame in their own way. Uh, and so we kind of get this montage of all the, the people involved in this process who are going to come together to be the cast of Colobus. And um, the first the first <laughs> individual <laughs> whom, whom we are pleasantly introduced to is this dame... <laughs> Tina. Tina. <laughs> Tina. And Tina, I mean, they, the approach to this character, like, I, 
don't know if they literally wrote her to be the the least likable person you could possibly <laughs> fathom, but they sure fucking pulled it off if that was the goal. <laughs> because this chick is just like in every possible way obnoxious. The way she sounds, the things she talks about, the way she delivers the dialogue, her overall presence, physically looking at her. Like there's <laughs> just there are so many things about this character that just don't work for me. I'm not saying she's an ugly gal. It's not that. They just make her so goddamn fucking annoying. And I hated her from the moment I laid my eyes on her. <laughs> the oh, those pigtails. Oh God. She is okay, she is do, trying to do this audition interview from the drive-in. She's a drive-in cashier, and she's literally in her job at this fast food restaurant in her uniform, sitting on a chair as there is a car outside the drive-thru literally wanting whatever meal he ordered. He keeps honking. She's like, will you wait a minute? I'm trying to record an interview here. And she is over-the-top obnoxious. Uh, I know... Roger, that eh, tons of horror man, horror fans think that Tina from Friday the Third or from Halloween Five is the most annoying horror character of all time. Well, we got a new Tina in town, and it's this bitch because I don't know how anybody could watch this film and not want to gouge their fucking eyes out anytime she says anything. It's fucking annoying. It's so great. Perfect word, grating to watch her. I almost shut the fucking movie off. And I was like, Roger, we're choosing to, because it's intolerable. And then to make matters worse, like, okay, I know they're trying to make her like funny, right? They're trying to be like, Oh, this is the funny, uh, kooky chick. She's zany. She's quirky. Oh, everyone's going to like her. But then like this guy is honking for his meal and she gets really annoyed. So what does she do? She's like, Oh, well, Mr. Impatient there, he's going to get a free, lemonade and she proceeds to take a cup zip down her pants and piss in it to give the customer uh, first of all who's gonna buy that that's lemonade lemonade is not served that warm i'm sorry so that's a horrible plan tina and you're gonna get called out for that and you're gonna be fired and probably sued and rightfully so uh but i really think my overall biggest issue with Tina on top of a mountain of issues is honestly the fact that her voice is constantly at the exact same like level and like just overall like flat delivery the whole movie like she's really big but everything she says is gonna get this exact same tone and it all comes out right here and there's never a variation oh my god wow wow you look like blah you're uh, all crazy and like you know like everything she says is just like this big like shout it's all shouted as though she's only ever done bad community theater her entire life that's the kind of performance we're talking about with this woman and it, it just it just continues throughout the whole film uh the next person that's auditioning for a role is erica who is this you know very regal looking blonde who wants to be a serious actress she says um, so she's concerned about how many cameras are going to be in the house and what they are actually going to capture because, you know, she'll, she's okay with nudity, but she has to be a little bit careful because she wants to be a serious actress. I think what really hit me hard with this moment was the fucking horrible dubbing. Uh, and I'm not one to really like call out bad audio, but God, like I thought this was going to be a foreign actress whom they brought in and very like very standard classic Italian cinema. If anything, I thought it was intentional at first. When you think of Giallo, 
and like how there are so often be people who are dubbed over like in the middle of a movie, you know? Um, I think that it, it's very, very un, uh, off-putting. And then you realize later in the movie that this actress, this actually is her voice. So it must've been like an audio issue or something because she's definitely dubbed here and it is really weird. Like it just feels super unnatural and everything she says is just very distracting. At one point she's like, you can see that. Can't you? Like, and like the way she says it just is, you could tell like she was just standing by the microphone. Like, you can see that, can't you? Like, it just feels very um, uh, dislocated and disjointed. And then we get a stand-up comedian named Tom. Yes. Who, the two guys, I get, I get the two guys in this film confused because similarly they look quite alike. So I've, yeah. it's Tom and Gary, right? Nice play on Tom and Jerry, but it's Tom and Gary. Get it? <laughs> but no, he is, he's a stand-up comedian. He's performing. What is it? It says something behind him. He's like at a woman's, a woman's, <laughs> woman's. It's a woman's empowerment uh, event. <laughs> and he's making, he's making inappropriate <laughs> jokes to like, uh, like literally sexual harassment jokes about like, oh, my, that, my dick turned red. And I told her, Hey, that's not Rudolph. You can get down there and find out. And like, the women are disgusted. They're like that asshole. Um, and then there's this like random scene where he, he leaves, he's, he's like mingling through the crowd and he runs across this beautiful woman who is like, Oh, are you filming a movie? And he's like, Oh no, I'm just doing a little something for, you know, a, a project. And he's like, Oh, you guys, you guys weren't very fond of my act. Were you? And she's like, I'm not, I'm not with them. I'm hired help like you. And she's all flirty with him. And she's like winking at the camera and like licking her lips and being very seductive. And he's like, Oh really? What do you do? Dancer. And she's like, no female impersonator. And he's like, Oh, okay. I'll see you then. And just like walks off. It's like, why, what was the point of this? I feel like that is a joke that didn't really age well. No, it did. It fell along the lines of a Kelly Rowland faggot line in the nightmare the um freddy versus jason i actually don't mind that at all honestly I, no i know but i think it's one of those things where i think there's an overall majority of people who are just going to hear that and be kind of like "Ooh, that doesn't hit well these days but, you know but especially the fact that like his reaction to it like if he would have been like oh okay that's that's cool you look great you know yeah i wouldn't ever but he immediately was like oh okay see ya I mean, eh, yeah, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but again, yeah, it's 1999. It does feel dated. dated. That's what I said. It's 1999. I'm not going to like petition that the movie be pulled off shutter or anything. Come on. So that's it. And then we, next up we get Gary who is in his bedroom. Very academic. I mean, Gary's probably the the smartest of the bunch. He's very academic, talks very academically. Although as he's doing his little spiel, his roommates behind him are like mooning the camera and like grabbing their crotches and stuff. And he notices and of of course turns around and um, shuts the door on them. And we find out that Gary's just kind of a free spirit. He decided to drop out of college because he realized that it wasn't necessarily for him that he is more of a just kind of go with the flow and, and kind of see where life takes you. So he thinks this opportunity may lead him to find whatever it is he's seeking. Yeah. I, I think Gary is probably the strongest of the performers overall. And, and I got to say for this opening bit, man, the, the, the frat brothers in the background or his roommates or whatever, like, give me more of that. Like you got these two like 
who appear to be rather fucking hot, especially the one who shows some of his ass. He doesn't show enough of it, though. He needs to do a full pants down, bare ass, and we only get like half a cheek. So I did feel a little disappointed, but God, they looked good. I'd rather watch what those two are up to than the cast that we've just been introduced to. But that's, I mean, that's who we're stuck with, and that's the story that this movie is telling. So we carry on. Then we get, okay, then we get Kira's audition, which, okay, we've already established this Kira character is not a strong character. Please tell me. I know how the film ends. Okay, whatever, I get it. However, like, if this was a real, like, reality show and you were a producer, who in their fucking right mind would watch Kira's tape and be like, oh, my God, that's the one. We need her. You know what they were really fucking hoping is that she's crazy enough that she's going to stir some shit up in the household. If like, But, of course, it, it proves to be a totally different situation. But the only thing is that they hope is that she's, like, batshit enough that she's just going to cause some mischief. Uh, because her video makes her seem like a fucking dick. Yeah, she's real aggressive. Like, it starts out real pleasant. And it's just like very, oh, hi, I'm Kira. I'm 22 years old. I like to draw. And you can hear somebody in the background being like, no, just be more, be calm, be calm, and you're fine. And then they like, oh, show them some of your art. So she picks up her art, her little artist pad and starts showing it. And I didn't think the drawings were like, it wasn't like she was drawing like graphic death. It was just like creatures and yeah and she's like oh oh my god stop the camera they can't see that oh my god stop the camera she's like dorothy's like no no because it's dorothy who's running the camera you find out she's like no no it's fine it's fine and kira literally gets up and like yanks the camera away i'm like um how did you get the role in this particular experimental film that's taking place in this film because i would have not even considered you but apparently they do Apparently they do. There seems to be a potential for violence, like right off the bat. Like you definitely see her. You think this girl could actually maybe cause some physical harm. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, for some reason, she seemed to be the right choice for this project. Um, and apparently, based off what ends up happening, I guess there's a point to it, as we learn. Uh, but yeah, so so that's that's our cast, though. Like, those are the people. <laughs> and we, we immediately cut to Tina, or we cut to... Um- uh, Kira, sorry, she is outside on the porch waiting to be picked up by one of the cast members. And we do get an ever so brief special appearance according to the um, credits, opening credits. None other than Linnea Quigley, uh, who they they give about two lines to. <laughs> and she's surprisingly demure. I know. In this role. She's so sensible with her hair up. I watched this three times, unfortunately, um, because I was really had a hard time getting through it to take notes. But uh, I watched it three times, and like the first time I watched it, when I saw an intro in a special appearance by Linnea Quigley, when it ended, I'm like, um, "Where was Linnea Quigley? Was she the one that was behind the shower glass, and we didn't see her?" Because I did not recognize her. But then I watched it the second time, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess I wasn't paying that close of attention to that particular scene." She's surprising. Yeah, she literally has three lines. She delivers them adequately, and uh, all of a sudden, Tina pulls up and gets out of the car, and what, she says something really obnoxious. I don't even remember. She's like, hey, Buttercup, hop in. I'm your new roomie. I would see her and be like, god damn it. I would be so fucking pissed off. One thing you didn't hit on real fast, Troy, that I bring up, there was a, a hospital sequence, a POV sequence uh, before this, in which uh, that lovely doctor, she came in with her 
fellow doctor who is a hot fucking daddy doctor who comes in and he's like investigating her and like they're all like looking at her face being like oh these wounds are so horrible oh i think that she's a cutter <laughs> and then he's like no with the depth of the the cuts in her face and how horribly mangled she was, I think this had to be inflicted by somebody. And they make it like this big to-do about whether or not she's self-inflicting harm. So this does start to come into play. It's definitely prominent throughout the progression of the movie. But this is the first time it's really hinted at. Yeah, and it is mentioned that the doctor, Dr. Waldman, does say that she keeps that when she got there, the day she got there, she kept repeating the word colobos. And the other doctor's like, I have no idea what that means. We Maybe you should look it up and, and figure out what she's talking about. Back in the van, Tina is saying the most inappropriate shit to Kira. She's like, oh, my God, when I looked up your address and saw it, I, I, and it was the wacky shack, I about shit myself. No filter on this one. No filter. There is no filter on Tina. No. She just says whatever. She says it's many inappropriate things throughout the film. They arrive at this house. I mean, it's a nice house, but it looks like it's in the middle of a suburban neighborhood. Didn't the description say it was going to be in like some mountain resort? Oh, Troy, one of my biggest gripes and one of the biggest red flags for me was when they arrived at the location. And I don't want to be a stickler, but like... Up the, from the moment you see it, you're like, oh, I'm I'm automatically adjusting my expectations. Like I was really thinking I was gonna get one thing, and and I'm clearly getting another. And like even the the interior of the house feels like a really bad real world set. Like it's just very um, lackluster. It's they're trying to make it seem as like modern as possible, which like it clearly didn't hit the mark then, so it makes it feel all the more dated now. And uh, it just looks really like kind of low end, low budget to the extent that there is like in the basement, there's a fucking drop ceiling. Like, it's just like, it looks so cheap and tacky. And listen, no hate on drop ceilings, but if you're going to give me like a high end luxury house, like I needed to have all the fix-ins. I need it to live up to my expectations. This house absolutely does not. Not at all. The, yeah. It, you can tell it's just smack dab in the middle of a neighborhood and they were, it was probably like one of the filmmakers, like mom's houses or something that she let him use very blase although by tina's reaction here in a second you would think it was the fucking uh, hugh hefner mansion so they pull up tom is there he's he's having a hard time getting his uh backpack out of his trunk there is a sexual innuendo made by tina about hey tom you need help with your sack he's like yeah be my guest and for some reason there's some weird and it's never really explored. Not a lot is really explored in this film, to be honest with you. But there is supposed to be some sort of sexual tension or attraction between Tom and Tina. But it never really goes anywhere. Good. <laughs> I don't want to see that. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't want to see a sex scene with that broad. And good Lord. So... Uh, Tina runs inside because she's super excited to see the house. So Tom and, and Kira are out there just having small talk, getting it, getting to know each other. And all of a sudden they hear a scream and they run in the house and the scream is fucking Tina excited. This, she, this woman is more excited than I've seen people that have won Mercedes on the fucking prices. Right. She's jumping up and down. She's like, look at this place. It's the bomb. And then she's like, look at it. It's a state of the art sound system. Roger. That is a fucking boombox from Kmart. 
she's like, there's a big screen TV. And I'm like, that's that's a TV that like my grandmother had in her house in 1997. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. My computer monitor is bigger than that TV. And she's just, and there's a fish tank. Hi, fishies. I want to fucking slap her so bad. And I, I mean, I, I know I'd be assaulting a woman, but God, she's grating. Oh, it's so hard to watch her. Anyway, we're in the house. We're meeting the cast. I've got to say that overall, I find um, the other three to be the stronger elements of the film. Like definitely, like, unfortunately, Tina and Kira are just horrible. But the other three, like, they're not amazing. But like, I find Erica to be at times a rather strong performer, probably capable of hitting the bigger emotional highs better than anyone else in the movie. She has some moments that she fucking sells. I like her moments of fear and I like her confidence. Like I do like her character way more than the other two women in this movie. Uh, And the two guys are both pretty okay. So they kind of balance it out. And luckily I will say like nobody in this film is deprived of like having some screen time. Everyone gets some equal treatment. There's nobody within the group that feels like left out or paper thin. It's just a matter of who dies in what order. But I do feel at least everyone gets equal coverage. So it doesn't feel like these characters are uh, too hollow. Yeah, I would. I agree with your assessment. I really like the Erica character. I think the actress is strong in the role. I think she's charismatic on screen. You know, when she's on screen, your eyes are drawn to her. At least in my opinion, that's every time there is a group shot in the film, my eyes always went to her. She's always doing something interesting. I, yeah, I love the confidence of the character. I love the sassiness of the character. She's not afraid to, to, to stand up for herself. I love her enthusiasm about her work as an actress, even when the others around her are not so enthused about it. It's a great character. And, you know, yeah, towards the end, she really gets to almost there for a, a few minutes, take over Reigns as like a strong final girl, which I appreciated. Yeah. Well, and I, I think when we look at people who do celebrate this movie to kind of gear into a positive territory for a moment because we've been fucking dogging it. I think she's one of the big aspects that that gives it kind of like a leg up and has uh, such a high favoritism amongst fans of the genre because she does have almost a strangely kind of like, even in seeing this the first time, I thought, wow, that girl has like this almost like this memorable... Uh, scream queen kind of quality to her. Like if this movie would have been bigger, I would say she could have been like the iconic face of this film just because she is beautiful. She's stunning. And she just delivers these fear moments really well. So I I think she's one of the reasons probably that this film does have a continued uh, following and fan base because she does really stand out in that role. After Tina excitedly shows them all of these apparently luxurious items that are in the living room, she wants to go up to the bedrooms. So she runs up to the bedroom. They all get up there. They notice that the bedroom, one of the bedrooms has a camera in the ceiling. And uh, Kira's like, oh, that's kind of weird. And this is when we're introduced to Erica. She walks in the room and she's like, you shouldn't stare at the camera. The director told us just to be natural. And she mentions that she's an actress and the, the group is like, oh, you're an actress? And she's like, yeah, Erica Taylor, you might have seen some of my work. And right away, Tom's like, no, my mom doesn't let me watch those types of movies. <laughs> I'm telling you, Tom harps on this girl, this Erica, the whole movie. It's funny. But you could tell he wants it. Like, yeah, you know, he's going to settle for Tina, but he wants <laughs> it. 
with Erica for sure. So Erica continues to give him the tour. She's been in the house a while apparently. So she takes him down to this basement where there's this pool table with these creepy mannequins, these green mannequins that are around it. And they approach the pool table. All of a sudden, one of the mannequins jumps up and it is not a mannequin. It is Gary. I like Gary. I like Gary too. And I, I felt really, I honestly, what happens to him later in the film, I almost couldn't watch it. Oh yeah. Well, and it's just the fact that like he's consistently probably the most endearing and likable character over the course of the whole film. He seems very well-intentioned. I, I appreciate that. Like there's really like, there are a little few moments where they start to not trust each other, but overall they don't really lean into like animosity too much. They just lean into like the fear element as the group starts to fall apart, but they maintain keeping a lot of these characters um, for the most part, well-intentioned and likable. They're not like turning on each other. They're not like doing like big fuck you moves. So it's not like this cast becomes horribly unlikable aside from the leading lady <laughs> uh, over the course of the movie. And I think that is, uh, it, well, that and helps. Tina. And Tina. Tina. But she's, at least she's off first. When it's just the three of them, especially there's a scene coming up at, at one point that's just um, Erica and is it, I think, and Tom. And like I, for a minute there, I was like, keep it this way. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. When there was, there's that brief moment towards in the film where, t- where, uh, Erica gets to take reins as the final girl. And I was like, okay, I'm liking this. I'm really liking this, but they, it doesn't unfortunately last long. Um, so Gary, they're, they're all excited. They all meet each other and they realize, Hey, this basement's decked out with a disco ball for some odd reason. And we get perhaps the most awkward white people dancing scene since evil laugh. What the fuck was this moment moment? Like, is this the entertainment factor that they're like broadcasting to people? Like, this is it guys. Like, Tune in. So lackluster. Uh, and then, you know, I mean the film, this is when the film starts to kind of dry. I, I, the film has some issues, some, some, I don't want to, I don't even know if it's pacing issues. It's just like, <sighs> Just not a lot happens. We get a lot of scenes of just the characters talking to each other, but I do like I do appreciate like when it the action picks up, it picks up and it's pretty brisk. But unfortunately, it takes a long time to get there because we just got scenes of of characters talking and interacting with each other. To be honest with you, aren't all that interesting. Uh, we have Tina and Kira, our roommates. So Tina's combing her hair in their bedroom, and she calls out to Kira. She's like, hey, Kira, do you want me to unpack your stuff? Well, Kira can't hear her because she's listening to music and she's painting. So Tina's nosy ass takes it upon herself to start unpacking um, Kira's stuff and notices that she has a pill or she has a bottle of pills, the medication. And so she goes, um, finally, Kira actually hears what's going on. So she goes in the bathroom and she's like, what are you doing? And Tina's like, I was just unpacking your stuff for you. Kira says, you don't have to do that. And then fucking Tina shows her the pills and she's like, you're not a head case, are you? Oh my God. First of all, she's wearing this God awful purple lipstick that just like makes her look foul. Then like the things she's saying are really foul. Like, especially like if we're going to talk about things about this movie that haven't aged well, like the way they kind of approach the mental illness and the way that Tina's character like talks 
to Kira, it's like, oh, like, this is just, like, so unlikable. Like, what's your fucking business what this girl's dealing with? Like, I get it. Your character's a, a dumb bitch. But, like, this is, just seems so simple. Like, going for these low blows, it's weird. Uh, and I, I do have to say, like, a lot of these decisions from the characters, while I do enjoy some of their interactions, for the most part, a lot of this dialogue uh, it feels very... Um, robotic uh it feels almost as if it was like written in one language and then put through google translate like there is so much dialogue in this movie that just feels unnatural or forced or just like the way it's worded doesn't seem like appropriate for people of the age and some of the motivations and the things they say just you hear it and you like you you almost like kind of wince you're like what the fuck like that just doesn't seem normal and like here with what tina's doing right here like would it who in their really like in their right mind, unless you're really that awful of a person, would call out somebody's mental issues, you know what I mean? Like to their face when you're trying to like adjust to being around them. Like it's just such like a, a strangely unevolved decision. And it makes for her character to just be now not just unlikable, but mean. Well, not only that, but then you know, Kira tells her, No, they're they're just for my anxiety. What does what does Tina do? She goes downstairs and tells the others that Kira is on, you know, uh, mental pills and she's probably a, a, a crazy person that they're going to have to watch out for. Gary tries to stand up for her. I mean, that's a theme. Gary is very positive throughout the whole film about everybody, about anything that they like. He's he's all on board with it. He's like, you know what? What's the big deal? Half of the country's on medication. It doesn't matter. You know, leave her alone. They have an argument about being hungry like Tom wants food and Gary's like, oh, I saw some fast food restaurants down the street. And Tina says, well, maybe we should just order takeout. That way everyone can eat what when they want. And this pisses Eric off. She's like, why can't we? Why do we have to talk about food? Why don't we do something more constructive? I mean, it's a weird scene. It's a very weird scene. Um, I, I kind of maybe get what they were going for because, you know, if this is really a reality show or whatever, you know, you want this type of conflict. But I feel like this film is played up quite a bit as being like a horror version of Big Brother, right? And there's another film, and it's on my list of, of films to, for us to review at some point, called My Little Eye. It has a very similar premise to this. Brad, I think it's Bradley Cooper's first film. And what I will say about that, about because I know the comparison's inevitable, I think what My Little Eye does much better, besides the acting, is give us the whole reality television feel. This film, to me, it's a premise, but it never is explored. It never goes anywhere. They're not broadcasting this to anybody. Um, nobody is seeing it. it. It's like, okay, this is supposed to be the show where you're getting these six people in this house and seeing how they interact, but the actions of the film happen so quickly that that's never really explored. And I think that was a missed opportunity. Even if they would have done something along the lines of like what Halloween Resurrection did, where it was like live streaming on the internet and people could see what was going on so that there was that aspect of voyeurism, uh, I would have been much more engaged. But like, it, it seems like it was a, it seems like it was an idea. I, th I don't know. It, just, it seems like it was just thrown in there um, as a way to get these people in the house together, but never acted upon we don't we never see video footage of them like we never see like someone watching them interact in this house there's no conflict that's built everything just happens so quickly and i think that's probably my biggest gripe with the film 
I was going to say though, Troy, that I think, and you, you kind of hit a note right on the head, a nail on the head with saying the, the comparison to Halloween Resurrection. I feel that someone who worked on Halloween Resurrection saw this movie, took the core idea at a very few elements of the film and used it for like the baseline for Halloween Resurrection. Because this is another movie I wanted to bring up that I feel like there was some influence. There's that whole sequence in the cam in the um like in like the one uh, uh, office space with all the cameras or all the televisions that are watching the cameras. The one character that we're introduced to here in a little bit, who is kind of like overseeing the project, you get this brief moment of him doing exactly what you're saying, watching the footage, watching them interact, and it's cut really short, and you never come back to it again. It very much though gave me vibes of like. Uh, Tyra Banks in her little moment, you know, with Resurrection. And I thought, you know, someone saw that and saw the potential in that. Yeah. Not saying that Halloween Resurrection did it right either, but at least capitalized on it and tried to do something bigger uh, because that was also only a few years following. So uh, but I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the biggest issues with this is you're given this, this setup, this concept that they're making this film but the film itself is really a very minor aspect. And I think what would have been potentially the most intriguing element was if they allowed it kind of develop to develop and based for a bit, uh, these personalities starting to kind of like uh, impact one another, you know, learning to live with each other, coexist with each other before everything started to spiral and, and go awry. You don't get that. They have very little time interacting. It seems like maybe at the most like a day. Um, and then shit hits the fan. So I do think we're very deprived of that with the concept that we're presented. And that is a very big gripe I have with the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as they're discussing food, the doorbell does ring. So uh, Erica says she'll get up and answer it. We cut to upstairs. Kia, uh, Kira is drawing um, in her sketchpad when her TV randomly turns on. And it is an image of a guy with a bloody face. And he starts to cut his face with a razor and she like screams and backs away and then the tv just shuts off random scene but i will tell you this actress bless her heart has the worst fear reaction i think i've ever seen in a film she does not sell it at all she would be if i could update our top three worst final girls Mm. that we did on our patreon recently i i swear to god she would be on there uh, and she would take the spot of somebody who is clearly less deserving because I have such a hate for this character. And you're right. Like it's just everything, every reaction she gives, everything she does, every decision she makes, it's just like, shut the fuck up. Like, please somebody kill this girl off. Cause she is very obnoxious. Um, and I'll also say this TV footage, like what kind of like bad local theater production nonsense is this? <laughs> like it's, and it's, it's explored a little bit, but certainly not enough to explain how this footage really comes about or what its purpose is. And I'm guessing it's kind of fantastical. I'm just very confused about what I'm seeing. There's like kind of an explanation, but like it, like I said, it's just, it's not enough. This movie does not wrap up enough to appease me. No. And we have, we're going to discuss the ending of the film because it is, it, it to me is what f- makes the film not great. <laughs> So as she's upstairs, all of a sudden, Tina comes up behind her and says, What's up, chicken butt? The director's downstairs. He brought two large pizzas, and he wants to talk to us. You better hurry up before it gets, it's all gone because everyone's hungry. 
And she runs back downstairs and Kira's like, okay, I'll be down there. And she, uh, Kira's obviously fucking getting stressed out because she is seeing these images. She's having these hallucinations. So she goes to her medicine cabinet, gets the pills, opens them, but then decides she's not going to take them. Instead, she goes downstairs. The director, Carl, is there. And he just showed us randomly to see if they have any questions. Right away, Tina inter- interrupts him with that hooting and hollering she does. She's like, woo, woo, woo. And even Gary's like, uh, she, he hasn't even said anything yet. <laughs> and the director's like, no, 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 it's good. This is what I want. I want you guys to just be yourself. If you're excited to be here, I want to see it. Uh, and he tells him, hey, you have the whole house and I'll be out back in the trailer. You're not going to see me from this point forward. Just go with the flow. His character, like, very brief. You only get so much of them, but you know, he, it, it, he enters and it's so strange because automatically you do start to have a red herring vibe with him just because you're, you're like, okay, well I have to suspect somebody at this point. So this makes the most sense. Um, so you start to suspect it, but you get very little time with this character. I would have been intrigued to have seen a little bit more because it seems like he has like a relationship situation with Erica. Like the setup just isn't there. So he just shows up. He brings two motherfucking pizzas. It's clear they're playing with a low stakes, this this independent film project, whatever this is. This is no Hollywood production <laughs> when you're showing up with two motherfucking pizzas. Like, come on, at least throw in a pasta. But here we are. Uh, and yeah, it just, it, it again, it, it doesn't, it makes us feel very... Um, thrown together like i wouldn't be shocked if it turned out that they like got like a family friend's house for this production you know like that's how they're making yeah it no work. that's what yeah i said that it was probably one of the filmmakers mom's house and she's like yeah honey you can use it just don't make a mess yeah and then yeah there is some sort of relationship element between erica and him that is obvious from the bat because erica offers to walk him to the door and when at the door she's being real flirty with them asking if there's any standout performances so far and he's like yeah there's a couple and then he leaves. Was it the dance number? Was the dance number the standout performance? <laughs> the dance. I I would assume so, so far. And then we get another scene of the group sitting around a table talking. And Erica's telling her, telling the group about her love of acting got started with when she was in a Peter Pan play when she was a kid. Um, Tom immediately interrupts and he's like, is it true that all actors just talk about themselves? <laughs> And I got to say, I do love Erica's retort to him. Uh, it goes somewhere along the lines of, and is it, and what type of comedian are you, Tom? Are you the one that got, that got into comedy to, to uh, avoid bullies and people that used to beat the shit out of you? Or are you one that thinks you can get pussy by telling all these lame fart jokes? <laughs> I'm like, you go, Erica, you go. Don't put up with his bullshit. Yeah, Erica... Erica does not put up with bullshit, man. I, I, I love that about her. And I think one of the most appealing things about this character, as we start to learn, is that she is well-versed in the world of independent film. And the way they wrote her character, honestly, I have met this woman before. Like, we have, work, we have, we have worked with We have worked with this woman before, <laughs> Roger. Listen, the story of Fanny Von Druven, the story of... Do you want to take any guesses who I'm talking about? Oh, I know. You and I are well on the same page. And it's it's more than one. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So, but I love this about her. And I do think that that, that is, this is a character that just still strongly appeal, appeals to slasher fans because she appreciates the genre. Even though we can see that this film that she was in was a giant piece of shit. Oh my God. She is so proud of it. And she's acting like it's like the best thing she's ever done. But in the meantime, before we get to that, they all want to see um, Kira's drawings. They found out Kira is an artist. So Kira reluctantly shows them her drawings. And they all they all like honestly really like her stuff. They're like, oh, my God, you are really talented. This is really good to the point where Erica asks, hey, can you draw a portrait of me? So Kira starts to do it. Unfortunately, Tina flips further into her um, sketch pad to see some of these more demonic paintings and drawings and right away tina's like oh my god what are these kira sees what she's looking at says give them back and like tina's like chill you gotta chill out and kira grabs the sketch pad out of tina's arms violently and charges upstairs yeah it's it's not making for good relations with the other roommates like kira is outwardly hostile She's unpredictable. Uh, they're already starting to suspect her, even without anything crazy happening. Like, she's definitely is doing her own undoing, uh, just in the way she's reacting to certain things. So this girl definitely has some deep-seated issues that need to be properly addressed. I mean, it is mentioned that she does live in what I think is called, like, it's like Hargle House, which is a house like that basically the sole purpose of this house is for people who have gone through major traumatic events to have a place to live. So like, you know, the girl's seen some shit. You see that she's got scars on her wrist from cutting. So yeah, but she's not doing herself any favors. And she stomps upstairs and she misses The Ballad of Fanny Von Druven, which is the movie that these people are watching is, in my opinion, it's significantly more interesting than anything we see in the actual movie itself we get this one scene where there's this like lesbian looking woman who starts screaming you just cut to the tv and she says something along the lines of she's got a fork in her neck she's got a fork in her neck and like it is so bad i couldn't take my eyes off of it i played it back three times and i do have to acknowledge that it literally took me five separate sittings to, to get through one viewing of Colobos. I do have to state that. That movie, I could have watched all night. So, like, good job I'm making a really <laughs> bad-looking indie because that is exactly what they're like. <laughs> it was a slaughter. It was called The Slaughterhouse Factor. And it stars Erica. And she plays the lead character. She's awful proud of it. She's she's given the plot details to it. She's like, oh, I get to play this woman. What was her name? Fanny Van Gluten? It's fa- it's Fanny Van Druven. <laughs> Fanny. Is, that name is the best part of this movie. I'm going to say it right now. I'll come back for Fanny Van Druven any night. Because, like, you see her, like, in this killer costume, just, like, badly killing all of these, like... <laughs> Like, just very unattractive people in this movie. And she is, the way she talks about it, she just gushes over it. I love it. Yeah, so we get to, we get treated to this movie within a movie. Several scenes. There's the scene of the the other lesbian looking broad open in the front door and getting a hatchet in her chest. Uh, there's so some bad. obese man trying to drink beer out of the refrigerator on the floor. And, and she, <laughs> she comes and hits him with something. I don't know what <laughs> But it is, it's so dead on. Like this person, you know that they had made no budget indies before because they were able to capture that lightning in that bottle. Uh And it was, it really like, it it is 
my favorite part of the movie was watching how bad this movie was. It really did capture the splendor of low-end indie film. And she's surprised nobody's heard of it. I also do like the fact that Tom is sitting there admitted, openly saying this movie is a piece of shit. And Gary, on the other hand, he is fascinated by it. He is even saying he loves the juxtaposition of the scene in the last one. It brought the thematic design of your character out. Tom's like, no, this is a shitty movie. And Gary's like, well, obviously you don't appreciate artistic value of cinema. So at least Gary, like I said, at least Gary is trying to be the positive one. He's trying to find good in everything. Yeah. Meanwhile, I need to set up what is about to occur because... This movie takes a very sharp turn out of nowhere. And again, it delivers something I was not anticipating. And it all starts with this scene that's about to happen with Tina, where Tina goes into the kitchen and she's just bobbling around, eating things, grabbing food, as you do. And out of literally out of nowhere she somehow manages to apparently set off what is a series of strategically hidden mounted razor blades that when you trigger it they come flying out at a violent speed and they're attached to like sticks so they like they go back in they like they go out <laughs> they slash at you and then they like then they retract and it's very strategically placed and basically Tina manages to set off some of these fucking razor blades while the other two are watching this this movie about Fanny Van Druven and <laughs> and she sets off these razor blades and these two fucking blades out of nowhere just slash her across the jugs and I was so thrown off but like it's not even like I was really scared it wasn't like a jump startle it was like a, a, a oh like what the fuck just happened it's just not what I was anticipating nor where I was expecting this movie to go so I guess like kudos for doing something completely kind of strangely original and unanticipated yeah it is quite jarring it just like you said it literally comes out of nowhere she gets up she asks if anybody wants a soda or something to drink and erica says yeah i'll take a soda if there's any left she yeah she just jollily marches into the kitchen and yeah this contraption she sets it off it slashes her across the chest she falls on the floor and another one like opens the cabinet opens and another one comes out and like shoots her and it slashes her across the abdomen and like literally disembowels her i mean it is violent it's violent it looks very painful looking i will say the deaths in this film to me are extremely violent and painful looking very creative deaths and they're not always well executed i mean some of the makeup in this i'm going to be real is rough but you can tell yeah. Oh, yeah. they took a lot of inspiration um, from from the Italian classics, from the works of Fulci, and so forth and so on. Uh, and you really see it in some of these kills. And I do have to tip my hat to them because fuck, I love my, I love me some Italian horror. I love where they go with it, and and you definitely see the influence in some of these big sequences coming up. Yeah, and I and and then this this is pretty much when the film kicks into high gear. Uh, and there's still about 50 minutes left, but it, it goes by pretty damn quick for, with the exception of maybe the last seven minutes. 
So then Erica, she gets up to see what's taking uh, Tina so long and finds her dying on the floor. I mean, bloodied, her guts are hanging out. The others rush in and find her. Kira kneels down next to her as she's like sobbing. That's another thing is like, I do think that uh, at least a couple of the actors reactions to their deaths and their pain is very like visceral. And this is like one of the one of the moments, even though I don't like the Katina character at all, I do feel like I can feel that she is literally in agony. There's like tears coming down her face and she's like, please help me. Please help me. Erica tries to call the, the phone lines dead. Um, and then out of nowhere, all of these like metal shutters start to shut automatically on all the windows and doors. Seeing the house going to lockdown is uh, pretty cool. And the whole tone of the house in general shifts, the lighting and everything. It, it becomes darkened and shadowed and ominous. And uh, it's definitely more um, foreboding uh, through the second half of the film. And I do also want to really quick build off what you said about the deaths feeling so painful, man. I may think that Tina is a horrible actress. I may not be able to stand watching her but watching the whole sequence of her like just bleeding out is rather excruciating um and, and at least she goes out with a bang because that kill is violent yes and i do you know you do have to mention that once the house turns once the house locks down and the lights go out there is some very inspired jalo-esque lighting as well uh, lots of reds and greens that look really cool so gary says they should go upstairs to get towels to help tina like wrap them around her wound so they go upstairs there's just lots of random stuff happens so downstairs kira is trying to comfort tina tom goes into the living room to turn the tv off because it's blasting loudly he just like disappears like he disappears like three times in this film erica and gary go into the room upstairs to get to get more towels and when they turn the light on it explodes causing like a jump scare and then we get like the first of many scenes of like kira back downstairs having visions because she's looking down at Tina and sees that her face starts to change into like this faceless blob. And then the lights go out and all of a sudden Tom reappears in the doorway and scares her. And he's like, she's like, where were you at Tom? He's like, I was standing here the whole time. And you're like, no, you weren't. Just everything happens so quickly. Erica and Gary come back down and Tina's body is just missing. Now they go back into the, the, the kitchen to look and it's just gone. All this, there's the blood. And then they hear her voice saying, help me and saying like, what's up chicken butt. So they follow the voice into the, I'm assuming the dining room, because when they get there, what is on the large dining room table is a platter where the voice is coming from. So Erica goes and lifts the platter up and it is Tina's decapitated head. This whole bit, everything leading up to this presents a lot of questions and a lot of issues and flaws with where the film goes first of all there is one moment that i like in which you do see them like pleading into the camera for carl to like free them and you do see like they're begging to be freed um and so you do get a little bit more of that camera aspect of seeing it from that perspective uh though it is brief and it does make carl still feel kind of red herring like for a while even though he's the least intimidating person you could possibly imagine um but everything kind of trying to build up here with a these goddamn blob face monsters like i'm sorry this makeup team struggles with properly executing a razor cut sequence let alone making gigantic expressionless like 
like facial like prosthetics it it looks really awful and i'm i'm like i now i don't want to be that person like i've been in bad movies but like on the scale that this movie was made i guess i just have certain levels of expectations and like cool in concept but the execution is so bad that it makes it like when these entities do appear on camera it is it, it takes so much away from the sequence. It just looks really bad in my opinion. And I don't know, it just, it's not scary at all to me. It just looks like awkward. It's very awkward. It's one of, it's one of my least favorite aspects of the film. And it, again, it causes me to give the film a lower sort of score in my mind than I probably would if it would have just been a straight slasher film. I'm not a fan of like when hallucinations and supernatural elements are embedded into a slasher film. I don't think it's necessary. And I think this film really highlights that there's no purpose to it. Um, I really wish they would have just kept the straight slasher esque aspect of the film, the, the core idea of these six people being killed off by somebody, some ominous person that's watching them and, and done away with this, these Kira hallucinations, because you're right. It does the movie no favor, no favors plot wise and no favors because it, it doesn't look that great and you know you have to know that the filmmakers knew that it doesn't look that great because they keep them concealed most of the time like behind shower doors or behind sheets this film really likes playing with silhouettes as well which can be cool but it just becomes too much in the last couple in the last half hour of this film like i i don't care that that Kira is seeing these things because we well and we well know that they're not real because when they go to attack her she screams and they're gone. I mean, how many times do we need to see that? You know? But I do like this whole lead up to the reveal with the head and the platter because it does have like um you can see there's a recorder playing her voice back, meaning that somebody's been recording them this whole time. So obviously they have all of their little bits of dialogue and everything. I thought that was a nice little touch. And the presentation of her head, like being wrapped around with her intestine, there's like a piece of her intestine like garnishing it. It just it just really gnarly and um it's one of the better effects. The, the Anything they do with like severed heads, things like that, uh, for the most part, uh, look pretty good. There are a few <laughs> specific effects, though, that are not. But this sequence, I think, did pop. Yeah, well, it causes Tom to throw up. And, and again, Kira has another vision of a faceless person attacking her. I think it's supposed to be her. So she immediately starts screaming that she needs her pills. Tom's like, fuck that. People are being killed and you're worried about pharm pharmaceuticals. I'm out of here. So he takes off to run and he runs to the kitchen but sees that it's entirely set now with booby trap lasers. So instead, they all agree to go upstairs to get the pills. But she cannot find them. While they're looking for the pills, they hear Carl, the director, screaming for help from the other room. So they run in the other room and they see that he is on the TV monitor being broadcast to them, being wrapped in a giant, <laughs> a giant roll of saran wrap around his face as he just keeps saying, no, <laughs> no, don't do it. Don't do it. It really is like the least, like the least effective thing they could have done in this moment. Like the killer is just wrapping him up in this goddamn fucking like a saran wrap. And the guy's just sitting there screaming. He's like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like it's making me like, it's like how long would it take to wrap this man up <laughs> in plastic wrap? Like, it's just, I think it's, it seems like something you like, wouldn't he have to be sedated or like, I don't know. It just, it boggles my mind that this was the end for this guy. Uh, but it was. But it does 
lead up to what is a pretty sick reveal. I'll say that much. Though how I how they pulled this off, I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do like what comes next. Uh, we see that once the person wraps his face with the saran wrap, they do stab him in the neck with a knife. And so it starts. To, he's basically going to drown in his own blood while he's suffocating with the plastic around his face. And then the TV shuts off and they're, of course, freaking out, especially Erica, when all of a sudden she feels blood dripping on her shirt. And she looks up and lo and behold, this saran wrapped guy in a saran wrapped cocoon is somehow taped to the ceiling above them. And they have to pull him down and try to rip the saran wrap off of him. And as they're doing it, like they're, they're touch, they're like their fingers are digging into like a stab bloody stumps and shit. It's pretty gross. Yeah. Like he's like, obviously been stabbed over and over in the stomach and it's like, it's pretty disgusting. Intestines and mush and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's really gross. So it was a pretty, pretty awesome reveal though. I just, I don't understand like how someone discreetly managed to put a, a man's, uh, a heavy, what appears to be a somewhat heavy gentleman's body fully supported from the ceiling and goes unnoticed. There has to be some kind of magical, mystical thing going on. Uh, it's all presented that a lot of what's going on is within Kira's mind, like the paper mache masked demons that she sees. <laughs> there are faces that look like paper mache. You know the ones I speak of, Troy. Like it, it's It's made to seem like it's all within her mind. But then there's definitely moments that imply otherwise, and it, it I don't know exactly where it lands. Like I don't know what is what story it's exactly telling. I, even after watching it, I can't totally grasp it. Well, I, th- I mean, I think that's the big problem with the film. And as we get to the ending of the film, that is something we'll have to definitely ponder because I, I don't know. I mean, what is real? What is imagined? It's hard to say. The film leaves a lot of loose ends. We do find out, well, before he dies, before Carl dies, he does say the word Colobos as well. And uh, Erica is just freaking out. And actually, when she finds him, she starts calling him Alex, right? She's saying, oh, Alex, who did this to you? Alex, Alex. Well, the group just knew, just was introduced to him as Carl. So they're like, what the hell? What's going on, Erica? And she reveals that the two of them were in on this together, that they're they're just actors and they knew they, they got into this together. He wasn't really the director of the film. It was just some um, private investor that gave the money to do this project. And it was just supposed to be, they got hired. It was just a bit easy peasy. Uh, and again, it, it immediately then sort of brings a level of suspicion to her. But again, it never really goes anywhere. The film doesn't allow it's, the film doesn't allow itself to explore possible conflicts and uh, red herrings and extra motivations that it, it probably should to give some more depth to the film. It just glosses right over them. Yeah, it really launches heavily into the territory that what's going on is directly attached to uh, Kira and her headspace overall. What you're really left feeling from this point moving forward is what is in Kira's mind and what is actually happening what is she behind? She very much becomes a red herring just in the fact that you often don't know if what you're seeing from her perspective is true or not. But it, it, it makes it very hard to follow the overall story um, because other characters do start to become directly involved. The things that happen to them, uh, they're directly affected by what's going on. So it's just I, it's hard to differentiate exactly what they're trying to do here. Uh, but I think one of the reasons for that is because at its core, even though it's telling a somewhat modern story, this is very much a, a giallo. I mean, it, the way a lot of the kills are approached, um, a lot of the shots, how they're set up, 
the usage of lighting, um, the fact that the killer is often uh, a pair of hands moving with a weapon or just silhouetted. It takes so much inspiration from that and would fall under that category in so many areas. And oftentimes, if you look at those storylines, they didn't make a lot of fucking sense. The, I mean, they are not known for their stories. I mean, I think that this film, when we get to the ending of the film, I don't want to kind of d- to discuss the ending of it now, but I will say that I think a lot of this pondering about, oh, well, why did this happen? Or how did this happen? Or what is kind of pointless when we get to the end of the film, if you kind of get what I'm getting at. If you don't, when we get there, I mean, I think spending time like, oh, well, what is this? Why, why? The film does something that I cannot stand movies doing. And unfortunately, this one pulls that whole, that the, the, the trick that I'm not a big fan of. So as we get there and we just get to the ending of the film and figure out what the ending of the film is, it makes everything that's happened so far meaningless anyways, right? So Gary suggests that they go to the attic to... to to see if they could get a way out. I do like as they're climbing the attic, I do love the colors, the green and red like glow as they're going up the attic. Um, as they as they're exploring the attic, the TV turns on and Kira sees that guy cutting his face. Again, this just this random guy that just pops up on the TV cutting his face saying, Kolobos, Kolobos. He definitely doesn't elevate the moment. I'll say that much. This video, it does not impress me much. It's the effects look kind of off. I mean, sometimes it's kind of like grisly, but like, it's just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on. And he just really is not very effective. So I wouldn't say it adds anything to these moments. No, no, not creepy at all. Uh, Gary turns the attic light on. There are, the attic is full of these like creepy green mannequins that are just like randomly placed throughout the house. Uh, Kira hears some moaning and she walks over to the, to this like rocking chair and what she thinks she sees intestines, a pile of intestines on it, but she kind of does a double take and we see it's just a rope. I know they get this bright idea to maybe punch through the roof of the at- house to see if they could get out through the roof. As they try, they realize the roof is a metal plate, so they're not getting out of the roof either. As these moments are building up and, and the tension is hitting its peak amongst the cast, uh, I do have to say that some of the, the acting that is weaker is, is in these moments. I feel uh, there's some pretty bad acting that's bad enough to disrupt what is otherwise kind of cool moments. There are some really cool things going on right now. Uh, the, the overall confusion, the, the things that are really kind of fucking with your senses, both with the characters and you as the viewer uh, it, it's not missing all the marks, but the dialogue is often so bad and the performances are often uh, rather wooden or stilted in these moments. So I do find like it, it just kind of kind of keeps stumbling along at this point. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of franticness in these next in these next couple of minutes because the the attic lights go off and they're stuck in the dark and Kira can hear this raspy breathing, but she doesn't know where it's coming from. So she all of a sudden out of the dark, the lights come back on and the bald guy is staring right at her and it flashes and he's gone and it's Tom. He's like, nobody's up here. Nobody's up here. Calm down. And he goes back downstairs. And it's just random. And then she is up there by herself and she sees Tom and Erica now like hammering the window, but they're silent. And when she approaches them, they turn around and they're, they're those faceless things. And it's just, it's so confusing. And it's just, God, those faceless things are so bad. But yeah, like, and then the, apparently this, like, Gary is mysteriously like dragged away. And this all manages to happen without 
the actual Erica or Tom noticing. Because what you realize in this in this dream world moment when Kira goes into the state and those goddamn paper mache demons turn around uh, and Gary's pulled away, what's really happening is the other two just are too distracted at the window and don't notice what happens. But it does it again, it makes it feel very much like Kira is having an influence over some of the things that are happening. And I don't understand like what the magical element is that's having this greater effect over everyone beyond just her mental state. Yeah, Gary's dragged into the bathroom and Kira runs down after him to try to get him, but the door's locked and she can't get in. Um, upstairs now, Tom and Erica really are pounding on the glass, but Erica turns around and notices that the mannequin has some papers in its hand. So she gets them and, and takes them out and unrolls them. And they are basically Kira's drawings that now eerily match the death scenes that have occurred and are occurring in the film so far. So she is like, oh shit, look at this, Tom. And now their suspicions are heightened about Kira as they should be. Gary wakes up in the bathtub um, and all of a sudden the shower comes on and I'm assuming it's acid because his face begins to bubble and blister as he screams in agony. This is tough to watch. Really. There's this whole bit prior to this where you see him getting dragged into the room and Kira watches as this figure proceeds to stab him first. Like he gets a stab to the chest. So like you see this whole brutal thing where it, he gets locked in the bathroom and Kira's on the other side of the door. So she's listening as this is happening. Um, there is, so the setup to this is rather kind of interesting. Um, but then you have this whole thing that happens where he's laying in the tub. By far, again, let's acknowledge definitely our favorite character, I'd say, out of the group. Maybe top with Erica, at least. He's laying in the tub and then the killer just turns the water on and... Yeah, acid starts to come out and he starts to scream. And you have this moment where this character, who's been one of the stronger forces in the film, has this really like pathetic, just agonizing death. And um, you're right, Troy, it is really hard to watch. It's really like, not just because the effect is gruesome, but because he's just, he seems so helpless. Like he can't do anything to help himself. And now it's too late. He's just like literally melting away. And not only that, the, 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 to top it off, the killer pulls him out of the shower and bashes his face against the corner of the sink twice. And, and I mean, it's pretty brutal. The effect for this is actually really impressive, the effect as the face caves in. But then when they do the, the wider shot, they cut back to just the actor and he definitely doesn't have enough of a bruise on his face to to be in sync with the effect that just happened with the mannequin head. Uh, so it, it does make, it's rather jarring because otherwise it's rather well executed. The whole sequence is well executed. It's just that one aspect that really like catches my eye. I noticed that too. Yeah. Because when you see his face bash against the uh, corner of the ceramic sink, you see it like gouge into it and like break the skin and penetrate it. But yeah, and he does it twice, but then when the killer pulls him away and throws him onto the floor, his face is, doesn't have those wounds. So Kira's outside banging on the door and she can't get in. So she like leans against the door and defeat. And all of a sudden the killer like bursts his hands through the wood, the door and grabs her and, and like st strangling her. Um, but then we cut to her in the hospital again and she's hearing voices from a sheet next to her that's bleeding <laughs> And she's like kind of freaking out. And then the roommate, that broad, that Florence Welch broad is like, can you close the 
curtain, please. This girl's freaking me out. And the doctor comes in to tells her that, hey, just want to let you know, the police are checking everything out. They're, they're you, you know, they're, they're checking out your story. So hopefully we'll have some answers for you. But again, she hallucinates and sees like the doctor's eyes start bleeding and her head starts twitching frantically. She starts experiencing stigmata. It's very weird. And then meanwhile, as though this wasn't all like kind of like hard to follow, Florence Welch starts performing like a very dramatic interpretive dance against the curtain beside them. And it's like, like, I get that what they're trying to go for, that everything is, you know, weird and unnatural and things are awry. And this is like a dream world. But like, it's just, it's strange. It doesn't feel at all right in this place. And um, yeah, it just, it's, you know what it makes me feel like is like, that's the sole reason they included that redhead in general is they wanted to have that specific shot of a woman dancing against the curtain for this, this weird dream sequence. Like that's her only purpose to be here because she never comes up again. So we cut back to the house. Kira's waking up and Erica and Tom are in the room with her. And they now think that she's the killer because of her drawings. And Kira's like, where's Gary? And they're like, oh, don't you give us that shit. You know exactly what happened to her or to him. And Eric's, and Kira's like, no, I don't. I haven't done anything. They're just drawings. And this is when Erica finds like a bloody fireplace poker under the bed. So she's like, you definitely did this. Tom, let's get her. Her whole thing is she, she, she takes out Kira's pills and she's like look at these i found them in the drawer i thought you said they were lost not not having your pills that's a perfect excuse to go on a murdering rampage isn't it i get that they think kira could have killed gary but like also like okay so prior to this the two of them like almost set off one of the razors in the walls there's a moment where they saw one of them come out of the wall and so they know for sure that this house is rigged that it's set up and i'm like do they really think that like out of all people, Kira is behind like this massive contraption of weaponry that this house is. <laughs> like, like you know, and that she taped she taped an adult man to the ceiling. Yeah, I just I feel like there's not. I I maybe I would suspect that she was somehow involved, but I definitely wouldn't think that she was the only one uh, who who could be doing this. But I don't know. It seems like some of the reasoning just seems irrational. Well, anyways, this culminates in. Uh, Kira trying to get her pills back and Erica getting the best of her and throwing her in the bathroom and locking the door. We do have to know, we do have to mention that, you know, Kira is telling them the killer bust through the door and grabbed me, but there's now there's no hole in the door. So that's suspect as well. Right. Yeah. So now uh, Erica has the idea that they need to get to the basement because her rationale is if the kitchen is that booby trapped and we have to get through the kitchen to get to the basement, that must be the way out. So he hesitantly agrees before they do it. Tom is questioning Erica about, can I trust you? I don't know if I can trust you. And she's like, listen, Tom, I've been with you the whole night. I could not have killed any of these people. I've been with you the entire time. So he, she's trying to reinsure him and we see all these lasers and he's like, well, how are we going to get through this? And Erica says, we're just going to run. And that's exactly what she does. She runs right through the kitchen, through the laser, the razor blades, the laser beams, which causes the razor blade circular saws to fly out. One barely misses her. Uh, she gets across and turns around and Tom has not run with her. And she's like, Tom, come on. And he's like, I, I don't know if I can do it. Uh, we do get this stupid scene in the bathroom then it cuts to Kira waking up in the or in the bathroom trying to get out when she sees that damn female figure in the shower glass silhouette telling her that I have an old friend for you Kira and it like throws like a 
straight razor out at her. I wonder if this whole thing with what ends up being the case, like, I really wonder if they're implying that because she is someone who has cut herself before, like, that this is her connection with whatever Colobos is, and that that because she's, like, a cutter, that she is the key to, like, unlocking everything. Because if that's, like, really, if that's what I'm piecing together with all of this talk about, you know, razor blades and self-mutilation, like, it just seems so problematic like is that really like what they're going for the more i think about the more i really think they are like tying in the self-cutting like the self-mutilation aspect prominently into the story and that feels very poorly played um but i will say some time away from kira for a minute is very welcome at this point uh and it truthfully significantly more effective everything of these two creeping through the house leading up to this whole kitchen bet is like some of the more entertaining footage in the movie. I really like the two of them together. Erica is very much taking the bull by the horns, and she is a strong female in this situation. So thank God we have her to counter uh, fucking wet blanket Magoo over there, Kira. Kira, who's hallucinating when she throws the shower glass door open, nobody's in there. It's just, it's just blood from Gary's death. Downstairs, Erica has made it to the basement, but she needs Tom's help. She turns around and once again, Tom disappears. What is it with Tom disappearing? Like every time he's supposed to be with somebody, he disappears. Well, also, Troy, there's a moment really early in the movie when she's hallucinating with the guy that's leaning over her. And she's, she sees Tom for a moment. Specifically, it becomes Tom. So it is weird because Tom does have all these moments where he like gets kind of creepy. Like there seems to be almost like a, a strange aspect of him being like possessed or something i don't know it's definitely not touched on enough but there are plenty of times that he either disappears or like his voice tone will shift and like it's just weird yeah yeah so tom's not there she hears a noise and she grabs a butcher knife and it is a cool scene because we have that we have the green tint lighting and to see her silhouetted holding the butcher knife up really reminded me of the final scenes in suspiria where the Susie character is in that room. She, she found the room where the witch is, the witch's room and she breaks that piece of lamp off the peacock and is holding it. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, it, yeah, it, I love it. It reminded love me it. very much of that. So I appreciated that. However, someone comes up behind her promptly and hits her in the head with a fireplace shovel, causing the butcher knife to fly out of her hand and her to run. But as she's running to the door to get out of the room this contraption comes out of the bottom of the floor and grabs her ankle and it snaps her leg in half i have to say though this looks extremely painful the effect is really bad the effect is really bad but it's still like it, it almost has like a torture porn kind of vibe when it goes yes. into some of these kills because they go so into it i feel some saw influence with how graphic they go or i mean well saw i mean technically it, Saw 2000, 2001. I think it was 2000, 2001, yeah. I mean, if anything, I feel like this was like on the cusp of that torture porn kind of movement because the gore here is intentionally very graphic. So it definitely, uh, yeah, I feel like the, like the idea of contraptions doing these horrible mutilations to people. Saw is another movie that I wonder if like this inspired some weird bigger ideas in a way because it it, it it comes out of nowhere. This blade comes out and fucking saws half her foot off. And yeah, she's like dragging it behind her. And I do have to say like this whole sequence that plays out after this point, I, I love that even though her foot's basically cut off, she's still fighting. Um, I'm pissed that she sees her demise. The whole sequence is 
rather lovely. It's shot very well. Um, basically, we have Erica getting trapped in a room, not knowing that the, there's another door. And so as she's sitting there trying to like defend herself, noticing all of this taxidermy around her, she's in a goddamn taxidermy room. Uh, and as she's looking around, she notices the killer is entering the room, and he picks her up, and he turns her around to face a giant pair of deer antlers. And it is extremely reminiscent of one of our favorites, A Silent Night, Deadly Night. Silent Night, Deadly Night, and I believe a zombie as well, with the woman being pulled towards the broken splinter of the door until it impales her eyes. If those two kills mated and had a kill baby, the kill baby would be this scene. Because that is it's the perfect balance between those two things. And for the most part, it's rather fantastic. It builds, it swells, she's selling it. God, she's selling it. Her screams, her grunts of pain. Um, the only thing that really sucks is there is a single shot of a fake head in which the tip of the antler is inserted into the eyeball that is so startlingly bad. It's so horribly mm-hmm. done that it literally took me out of the moment. And I hate that. I hate it for that reason because... God, this kill was so close to being just a really memorable, amazing kill, but the effect is so bad. Do you have the same thought on this? Oh yeah, it's bad. There's two shots that are that kind of kind of take me out of the moment. The one is the one you're talking about, and then the final shot of her side profile, which we can tell it's her real face, but you can tell like the antler isn't. You know what I'm talking about? The antler. It's just they tried to make it look like the antler was in her eye by giving us a side profile of her real face and just putting the antler close to the eye, but it looks really bad. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell it's not inserted, but you could like I love that you see the like the tears running down her face and everything. They just didn't hit the mark on it. But there's so much to appreciate about this kill. I really, really wish they would have fully pulled it off because it would have been Obviously, a very memorable sequence if they were to hit it completely. Yeah, I, it's a cool kill. I mean, I love the whole inspiration. You can definitely tell it was inspired by Silent Night, Deadly Night, and and, and Zombie. So I, I know I, I really know that the filmmakers knew horror and they kind of had an idea, like they were trying to pay homage to different films. But it's unfortunately um, the final product, script wise, was just not up to par. Upstairs, Kira got out of the bathroom somehow. And she finds Tom unconscious and wakes him up. And he's like, how did you get out? And she has the most wooden, ridiculous line. She's like, oh, I beat the door into submission. What does that mean? I don't know. I beat the door into submission. To me, beating something into submission is beating a living thing to a point that it yields to you. I don't think that's that's the proper usage of the word sub- beating or the term beating into submission. I don't think a door could do that you could say i kicked the door and i broke the door down but beating into submission does not sit well with me some of these lines like i said foreign language thrown into a google translate yeah so he's like oh okay and now he notices that the basement door is open and the lasers are off so he's like oh my god erica must have made it and that has to be the way out let's go so they kira goes in front of him they she runs to check it out and as she gets into the basement um, she sees all the creepy mannequins down there. And again, no Tom. Well, before he disappears, he gets real creepy and ominous and looming on shit for a moment. Like he, she says something and he answers and I forget what he says, but he's like, 
okay. Like his voice tone changes. Like I said, it seems like almost like he's like possessed or something. And then he just like disappears. It's real weird. And then the outcome to come from it is even weirder because there's no payoff. She, she runs ahead. She thinks she finds a way to climb out through this like small hole, this like window that, that looks up, uh, up to the outside. It's like in the ceiling. She's trying to get through it. And when she turns around, Tom's gone. But there's this mannequin head, one of those goddamn fucking mannequin heads. And it's just there in front of her. And of course, like, how could it have gotten there? Uh, and then she turns back. And when she turns back around, she realizes that there is now a decapitated head on the table beside her. Uh, and it's like startling, but it's also like so horribly mutilated. You can't tell whose head it is. Yeah, I couldn't tell. It's It's very weird. Very, very weird. Yeah, well, and then it sprawled out in front of her is a basically a disco scene with all the dead bodies propped up. So you get like Erica there hanging out, dancing. You get all the dead bodies, including Tina's head, which is now decorated like a disco ball and hanging from the ceiling, spinning around. It's a cool shot, to be honest. The whole thing, like this is a moment where I was like, ooh, okay, like this is some really gnarly, gory creativity being put on display which i appreciate and then she you know she's looking all around she notices everyone's there uh the term colobos is written on the floor in blood and then she, uh in the doorway she realizes that tom is like displayed there he's like dead and in his face it looks like there's a like a clown smile carved into his face horribly done uh so it's it's it appears as though Tom is dead uh, compared to the other victims. He's not nearly anywhere close to as grotesquely made. Oh no, he got a, they, they cheated us on that death scene, you know, for him being this kind of an obnoxious character. We don't even get to see as he has an off screen death. I was kind of uh, pissed by that. Yeah. Well, especially because I kept suspecting that there was something more to his character and then he just shows up dead. It just, it, Again, it's something that doesn't feel like it connects. Well, she goes to run out and she's immediately grabbed by the deformed faced killer. He grabs her and is like forcing her to now he has all of her drawings hang on. He's forcing her to look at her drawings and he's like, finally, they're alive. He's like, no, they're just drawings. What are you doing? And he's like, I've set them free from their shells. It's so weird. So like, I'm guessing like is. In a way, did her creepy drawings like partially predict these deaths or did the killer take inspiration from her deaths? Like I I have so many questions about what the fuck the motivation was behind everything that just unfolded. I guess we're supposed to gather and understand that like the whole meaning behind Colobos, which is Greek for like mutilation. The whole idea behind it is I, I like, is it some kind of spell that the man in the tape who was cutting his face off because we see it again. This is now this man who has this mangled face, correct? I guess. I guess. I guess. I'm not sure, but I guess. And he has this whole thing about Colobos, which he explains what it is. It's Greek for mutilation and that, you know, all these people, he's returned them to their final form. And I'm assuming this is what's allowing him to, I don't know, live forever ever or something I, I guess it's not really explained all he says is that she's part of it it's not explained and this ending is really rushed he he pulls out the razor blade and he's like rubbing it against her neck and he's saying oh 
uh, we don't have to kill you, but you need, you need, you need this again. And he's like rubbing the razor against her neck. And all of a sudden she's able to punch him in the neck and get away from him. And they have a really brief scuffle, Roger. There's not a lot of like there is. Don't expect going into this. You're going to get some fun, elaborate chase scene, which could have happened in this particular house. You don't. Like she hits him in the neck, gets away. He, they struggle on the pool table for a second. She gets a pool ball, hits him in the head with it, and then proceeds to take a pool stick, pool cue. And as he comes at her, she stabs him in the fucking mouth with it. Well, there's a few things that we really need to hit on with this because there's I got some big issues aside from just the story. But yeah, I mean, I truly do not know if colobos is the is the term that he's using for like some kind of ritual or act like it, it literally it's not explained he, he hints very vaguely that there's some kind of something that he's done involving his own self-mutilation and this act that has occurred that's allowing some some kind of benefit for him i don't even really know what the benefit is i'm guessing it's allowing him to just keep on living with that mutilated face but so now he's gone through his act He's cut all these fucking people up and killed them. And now he relates to her in the sense that she is also a cutter. And so she is different from them. And she, in turn, has the ability to enjoy the benefits of all of this. And that's why he then starts cutting her face with a razor. And this is this whole strange like, kind of fetishy moment where he starts cutting her face and there, there is a moment here coming up and I, I pray to God you saw it because I couldn't take my eyes off of it. He's cutting her face with this razor and as he's slowly dragging it, you realize that the tube of blood is blatantly visible, clear as day against the blade. But I did not think he cut her face. I thought he was just rubbing the blade against her because when she that the final shots of them struggling on the pool table and when she when you you get a clear shot of her face as he's coming towards her when she shoves the pool cue in his mouth, her face is not cut. Girl, there is blood on her face. And I assure a you, little bit of blood, but there but there are not deep gashes on her face. There's if you cut someone's face with a razor blade. Oh, I know. You were going to have deep gashes. However, Roger, I think, and I, I don't want to be, I, I'm not being dismissive of anything here. I, I know that this movie can probably be interpreted a lot of ways. However, I think the ending of this film makes all of this speculation about what Kolobos means and what's it mean to this guy. It makes it really irrelevant because of what we find out at least my interpretation of, of the film. I, I think we can, if you want, we can get to the ending and talk about that to see if we're on the same page, or maybe you're thinking something completely different. I will tell you my interpretation of the film makes everything that came before the final five minutes pointless, but I get what you're saying. Like nothing about this villain is explained. I don't know why the word Colobos is so important to the film. I have my theory, which I'll get to when we discuss the ending of the film, but like, I don't know. Like I, that's another thing is I didn't think he was cutting her face. I just thought he was rubbing the blade against it because when you see her clearly in the final couple shots of the film of their struggle, not the film, her face is not cut. There's like a little like half a centimeter line of blood along the side of her cheek, which leads me to kind of my conclusion about what I think the film 
is i don't know if you if you want to get there or not because she shoves the pool cue through this killer's head it comes out of his head very reminiscent of my kill in mrs claus the end the final sh- scene of that uh but um she wakes up in the hospital and now the bandages are bandages are off her face and you see all these horrible scars which her like nose is cut her forehead was cut her both her cheeks are cut that was not there in the last shot we saw of her none of them so it's time for her to be dismissed from the hospital. And Dr. Waldman is like, you know, I, I got to tell you, Carrie, you're ready to go. But Dr. Byers came back to me and told me kind of what they found. And what they found was nothing. Like the house that you you gave us, an elderly couple has lived there for 22 years. It doesn't even have a basement. It doesn't have an attic. It wasn't snowy. And it was just, I mean, there's no possible way that this was the right house. And Kira's like, yes, it has to be. And, um, the doctor is like, I also looked up the word colobos and it means mutilated. And you can tell the doctor is very much suggesting then that Kira hallucinated and made all of this up and cut herself. Right. You know, she suggests that Kira goes and talks to one of her colleagues, one of her friends, who's a doctor and Kira flat out refuses to do it and gets out and leaves the uh, the hospital very easily mind you like after all of this you'd think she'd be like pink slipped where she couldn't leave because they're suspecting self-mutilation but she just sashays right out the door leaving that sensible doctor to be like god damn this bitch is difficult well and then she gets okay and then this is where the film just takes this weird turn because she gets home to a house that i'm assuming is clearly hers because her paintings and stuff are there But this is a nice, this is not the halfway house that she came out of at the beginning of the film. This is a house that's very much lived in. She's very comfortable with it, right? She's the only one there. She has a whole studio set up. Um, As she's walking through this house, she's hearing voices, including Tina's voice. She explores the kitchen. We see that it's full of dirty dishes, like nobody has been there for a while. She picks up a knife and starts like giggling maniacally. And then there's this whole recreation where she does the exact same thing Tina did right before she gets killed. She takes a soda out of the refrigerator, drops it like Tina did, tries to get in the pantry when this trap is uh, ignited and released. But it doesn't really cut her. This was weird. Did you understand this? I feel like it was that was almost a flashback where she was going through the motions and she it triggered a memory for a moment is almost what it seemed like to me because her reaction, she seems like she plays it off and you only see a split second of a blade, but it's not like you see it retract or anything. I couldn't tell if that was just maybe her hallucinating. It's very odd. It's very odd. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. She heads upstairs and as she's going up the stairs, she's like, it's only me. And she goes upstairs and we see that she has a room that is very similar to the room that, Erica was killed in, including the stuffed birds and the deer antlers, which she passionately goes and caresses against her face. Oh, it's phallic. I mean, she's like diddling on these goddamn fucking antlers. And then she hears someone calling her name, faceless, calling her name. And she looks at her face in the mirror and it's all cut up and faceless, this voice, faceless voice keeps saying, touch me touch me and i'm assuming is it the straight razor that's talking to her because she picks up the razor and then starts like rubbing it against her face i almost wonder if the razor like the representation of what that strange man was was like 
the razor taking a physical form almost, but it like the way this is played out, it's almost like I'm watching a live action, horrifying version of Disney's beauty and the beast where it sounds like Lumiere being like, Oh yes, touch me. Feel me, love me, Kira. Touch me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's comedic. Yeah, yeah. And obviously she starts cutting her face because we see droplets of blood hit the sink. And then all of a sudden the voice says, there's something I want you to do for me. And we cut to her typing on a typewriter about Kolobos and it means mutilation. And it's like the same thing that people said Zeus did when he severed creatures who first roamed the, o- the earth in pairs of two, which then led to the creation of sp- a man and woman, you know, coming from splitting man and woman into two separate entities, uh, which I don't know what the fuck that was supposed to mean, but okay. Then she gets on the phone and calls the newspaper and proceeds to place a classified ad, which is the exact same ad that we heard at the beginning of the film. Calling off freeloaders, experimental film, get to live with six people. You can love, love. And and then that, that's what she's doing. She's placing this ad and then the film ends. And I can only say, I mean, I don't want to, I could probably talk for an hour, another hour, and I don't really want to do that about this film. But like, I will just tell you, and I don't know if you're on the same page with me. We have not discussed this film, Roger. Have we? No, we have not. So you're hearing my my interpretation of this film and kind of why it pissed me off and left a really sour taste in my mouth is I'm feeling like everything that we saw at the beginning, the, the whole the whole idea of the six people, that never happened. That was in her mind. I feel like then she cut herself graphically and, and went out and roamed out of her house and was picked up, was hit by the car, picked up. And so she is reliving this thing that never happened. And that's why when she gets back to her house, you see all of these elements that, that are the same that happened in the, the Colobos house, the, the house that was booby trapped. The whole thing with her dropping the soda, the whole deer antler room. There's so many parallels to her home when she gets there versus the real, the, the house that was used in the film. Um, and so I feel like she hallucinated all of this and obviously she's not right because of all the giggling and laughing she did when she got home and the voices she's still hearing. So I'm feeling like now she is putting in real life, she's going to put an ad in the paper to try to pull this off herself. Um, and I feel like Holobos, the man is like a product of her imagination, her drawings and everything. I think her drawings are a direct tangible image of what is in her mind, what she is seeing, what she is hallucinating. That's why everyone died in the film, quote unquote, was correlated with her drawing because it's something that she's had a a vision, a hallucination about. But I do not think that anything in that film, the six of, I don't think anything ever happened. It was all in her mind. I... I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence. Why would the house that she told them to go to not even be the right house? Like the doctor said, it's not an elderly couple lives there. You're trying to tell me they didn't find this house with all these dead bodies. Um, she, she killed the she killed the guy. It's not like he came. I mean, she stabbed him through the head. Uh, I, I and I you know I tried to avoid reading a lot of interpretations about this film, but um, I mean I I'm really confident that that was the intention of the film, that this was all in her head. And now she is actually going to try to pull it off in real life. And that's why she's putting the ad in the paper at the end of the film. You know, I, part of me feels like 
in a strange way, parts of it actually did happen just because of the whole, I mean, it's so disjointed, but it does feel like it leans so heavily into that Jalo kind of like, uh, just very loose, uh, open to interpretation storyline. That's, that's a very familiar trait of that genre or of that subgenre. So I, but I agree with you. I mean, if that is the case, if what I'm saying is the case, then it's just even weaker storytelling because none of it would make sense if it was to be executed that way. How did, how did that get pulled off the hidden blades and everything? Like how I'm so very confused. So, I mean, I guess, I guess you're right. I think you'd have to be right overall, but it makes it for such a awful ending. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it really, it really pissed me off because it's not like the movie was that, you know, I mean, great to begin with. And then to, to pull that, I hate when movies do that. I hate when we find out that either the main protagonist was imagining everything or it was a dream. But I mean, there's too many unanswered questions that that's the only explanation that you, we can, we, we have like, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I would be curious. I mean, I don't know. I could be completely off. I might've missed something in the three viewings that I did in this film, but I feel like that is probably the right interpretation. But what I would ask listeners that, that if you, that you've seen this film, uh, David, Claire Bennett, you, you're the one that picked it. What is your interpretation of the ending? This might be a film that maybe we'll get some engagement on our social media because I, I really want to know uh, how this film is, viewed in terms of what the fuck it means and the only thing that i feel confident about in terms of making everything tie together because there are so many loose ends is the fact that she imagined the entire thing was a hallucination god that's unsatisfying it's so unsatisfying and also i hate it to is. say it but it's, it's also terrible just kind of really offensive to think like you know the way they play the self-mutilation aspect in along with the depression to make it all like the fact that she really is that like mentally unstable and then she's going to go out and do these horrible things. Like, it's just like, it seems like it's such a product of the time. I feel like if something like this came out nowadays, it would have to be so much more PC, you know, cause whenever you touch on things like, you know, cutting and so forth, like this does, it was so, so like such a lack of care. Like her character is not one I care about. At the end of the day, she seems to be making some bad decisions, even if she's influenced by her own, personal demons and even if those demons have gigantic meatball faces and stick their tongues out as they come running at you oh my god there's a shot of that fucking killer running at her where he's like and his tongue sticking out and i like i literally started laughing out loud he's so like not intimidating i do you know for all of the flaws and and the fact that the story is just completely incoherent i really don't know like you're right i hope the listeners get involved with this one because i want to know the intentions maybe that'll make it sit better with me because as it stands i really like like i said it took me five sittings just to get through this fucking movie at one time um it is not my cup of tea but i appreciate the references the acknowledgements of classic italian horror cinema i saw the influences painted all over it I appreciate that certainly. Absolutely, I'm I'm with you. I, I I really like some elements of the film. I like some of the lighting choices. The death scenes, like I said, are probably some of the more uh, violent, painful looking ones I've seen in a film in quite some time. Uh, and I like the score. I, I do like the character of Erica. But yeah, the ending. If this if the, if I'm right about the ending, it leaves a huge bad taste in my mouth. And 
I will say, you know, I, I, I'm going to mention it again and I'm going to say that we are going to cover it soon. We should cover it soon because while this one is a fresh in our mind to, to compare them, that I really think that My Little Eye is a much better film using this premise. So that's all I'm going to say. I mean, I, I'm really curious, guys. We're, this is our 79th episode, so you better start talking to us. If you haven't if you haven't engaged with us on social media about the films we, we watch in our episodes, this is the time to start to do it because I need to hear your thoughts on this film and what, how you feel the ending, what the ending means. Yeah. I want to know why people are such fans. Of yes. There, this And this film does have a strong fan base. So, guys, if you're one of the Colobos groupies let us know like what is it about this film you you really enjoy because you know as a as a filmmaker myself and as a as a writer i i feel like this the script of this film is super 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 weak um but and i think they did the best they could with with it Um, but you know the old cliche is if you have a bad story or a bad screenplay you're gonna have a bad movie um, and I think this is a, an indication of that. It's just, I don't think they pulled off solidly what they thought they, they did. And the ending, like I said, just leaves a huge bad taste in my mouth, but I got to revisit. I hadn't seen it for a long time. I, I did see it several years ago and, um, did not remember a lot about it, but glad I got to revisit it. It's episode 79 Colobos. Again, thank you, David Claire Bennett for suggesting it. Um, I will say that you know we're, we're next week we're finishing up our um, fan pick series with the last one, and that's going to be a, a much better film to discuss. I think one that I haven't seen in a long time because I'm not a fan of vampire movies, um, but it is one that I know is held in high regard, and that is Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. Yeah, I'll be honest, I've never seen it. Uh, I've seen it one time, and I, I I think for a vampire film, it's probably one of the ones that I can tolerate. It's like kind of like The Lost Boys um, and Fright Night, kind of that. I mean, not the same tonally, but I, I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I know the one iconic image, the visual of the one character horribly burned. Um, I'm okay. Like, give me a good good vampire movie, and I'll I'll enjoy it. I like Thirty Days of Night. Uh, thing, you know, so I I'm intrigued to see it um and I, I like the fact that this you know the at least for a good chunk of this fan picks it series have been titles that i don't think i would normally be um hunting for so i i like that i'm having my eyes open to new material i appreciate it yeah i think near dark will be one a, a strong way to go out and then we can we can finally release our our personal picks for the upcoming weeks but again guys if you want more content Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Dark Knight of the Podcast. God, we we're, we're, we're almost have like 30 bonus episodes up there. So check it out. Join us. We're having a blast. And if you don't want to do that, please give us a rating, five stars, preferably on Apple Podcasts. Just go to the Apple Podcasts, type Dark Knight of the Podcast, scroll down, hit those five stars. That will really help us a lot. But yeah, other than that, guys, we we bid you adieu and we will see you next week near dark. Yes, we hope you enjoyed it and we're looking forward to chatting with you again soon. Yes, we are. Good night. Good night. Good night.